We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to answer the question, is the Bible trustworthy? Can we trust modern translations to be an accurate reflection of what the original authors wrote 2,000 years or more ago? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Today's topic is the trustworthiness of the Bible. Are modern translations accurate? Or is the stuff that you hear from postmodern scholars, you know, professors at the local university, whether it's Christian or not, who tell you that modern translations of the Bible are not a clear or accurate reflection of what the original authors intended? For example, One of the claims today, repeatedly, is that, well, you can't tell me that homosexuality is wrong because that translation of the word homosexual is an inaccurate translation that comes from the King James Version. And we all know that the King James Version translated certain words wrong. So homosexuality and all of our standards in the church, all of our moral sexual standards and whatnot within Christendom, uh, those are wrong because we just didn't understand what the Apostle Paul was really saying in Romans and to the Corinthians. And we really don't understand what the context of Paul's condemnation of homosexuality really was because the King James folks got it wrong. Is that true, or is that false? And is this a new claim, or is this an old claim that's been around several times, kind of like a boomerang that you've thrown away once, twice, three, or four times, and it just keeps circling back and hitting you in the head? On today's show, I'm going to answer this question. And frankly, it's a very simple question to answer. This is not complicated. So I'm going to give you a lesson today on how to respond to these people that tell you that you can't trust modern translations of the Bible because there are so many of them, you just don't know what those original authors really wrote or said. This stuff is all just made up through a construction process, a construction process of what Constantine and those thereafter wanted to say about what Christianity should be. They made it up as they went along and tried to control the populace therein. That's the claim. That's the claim from the left, from the progressives, even some that call themselves Christian. All right, so that's today's topic. I'm going to answer the question. So let's take an early break, and when I get back, I'm going to start out by reading an actual question that I received on Facebook recently from a grandmother who's confused about this and wanted to know how to respond to her granddaughter, who's making some of these contemporary, modern, 
what I would call postmodern, woke claims about the Bible. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. Like I said, I want to start out by just reading this question that I received on Facebook. Now, I'm going to change the name here, and I'm going to omit a couple other details from the question because I don't want folks be, to be able to identify the, the grandmother that's as, asking me these questions. So here you go. Uh, Dr. Piper, I was talking to my granddaughter, and she has just blown me away. She was raised in the church and graduated from uh, a Christian college. Okay, I, I'm not going to tell you which one here. Uh, because, I don't, again, I don't want to betray this grandmother. Um, she was raised in the church and graduated from, fill in the blank here, a Christian college. Majoring in psychology, she told me it wouldn't matter if a friend she has were gay. Her friend is not gay and neither is my granddaughter. I said, but the Bible is clear about that. Her answer was that before scripture was translated in the King James, it didn't mean that. It was translated wrong. I said... Have you searched that out? And she answered, yes. Okay, so that's the exchange between grandmother and granddaughter. Granddaughter went to a Christian college, graduated, graduated with a degree in psychology. Sidebar here, that's my undergraduate degree too. And then I have a master's degree in human development theory and a PhD in a related discipline. So I think I have a few credentials here to respond to this granddaughter if she wants to spar or anybody else that wants to spar on this issue. Okay, sidebar there. Sorry, I just had to throw that in. So the grandmother goes on after she explains the scenario to me, which doesn't surprise me, by the way. And she says this, Can you please help me know how someone comes to that thinking? I haven't studied into the original text before King James. I still believe what Scripture says. My heart is saddened and burdened where her thinking has taken her. My husband passed away two years ago. He was a, fill in the blank here in terms of evangelical denomination, he was a evangelical pastor for over 50 years. Thank you. If you don't mind to answer about before King James translation, I trust you sincerely. Signed the grandmother. Okay? Now, she's typing this up as a Facebook private message question. So in summary, here it is. My granddaughter goes off to a Christian college, one that we all trust and celebrate. It's uh, our denominational college. She majored in psychology. She's coming back and telling me that it doesn't matter if she or her friends are gay because the King James Version is a mistranslation when it talks about homosexuality. Okay? And therefore, what we think about that sexual standard and other sexual standards related to it uh, is wrong because we've based our modern assumptions, our evangelical assumptions, our conservative Christian assumptions on a mistranslation of the word. This is not what Paul intended to say. In fact, it's not what he said because the translators back in the King James day got it wrong for political reasons or for bigoted reasons or whatever. Okay, that's the modern claim. That's what this daughter is saying. And this, this grandmother, who was married uh, to a pastor, an evangelical pastor within this given, given denomination, um, a pastor who, uh, who uh, spoke from the pulpit, preached from the pulpit, uh, uh, served the church for over 50 years, 50 years, 
this grandmother uh, wants an answer to this. She's asking for some help. Okay, so um, here's my response. Right? I want you to I want you to hear this. Now, again, don't get distracted necessarily by the issue of homosexuality here, because this is a claim that the progressive church and the woke culture is putting on scripture whenever they disagree with it. It just happens that they disagree in this particular case with the word homosexual. And they've been making this claim for years, and they've gotten people to buy the lie. Apparently, the psychology professors at this Christian college have taught this girl this nonsense, and she is now going out and perpetuating the same lie. Okay, So I responded, Dear Mrs. So-and-so, here are a couple sources that will help you in responding to your granddaughter. Number one, the claim that we can't trust the Bible because the translators of the King James Version got the word homosexual wrong is nothing but a distraction. Frankly, the King James Version is irrelevant. All modern translations, such as the ESV or the NIV, the English Standard Version or the New International Version, and dozens of others, all these modern translations go back to the original Greek and Hebrew language. They don't rely on the King James Version or the Latin Vulgate, which the King James Version did. In other words, Modern translations go back to the original Greek and Hebrew. They don't rely on the King James. So referencing the King James is a straw man. It's a fallacy. It's a distraction in the extreme. And this granddaughter's claim is little more than that. If I were debating the granddaughter, I'd simply say, who cares about the King James Version? Now, some of you enjoy reading that, and it's not... That's, there's no problem with that. But you do have to recognize that the King James uh, is a translation from the Vulgate. And the, the Vulgate is the source for most of the King James. That's not necessarily bad, but it did result in relying upon a translation to then write a new translation. Modern versions, like the English Standard Version, don't do that. They go back to the original language to build their translations. So they skip that intermediary source and therefore, in some cases, in many cases, are more accurate. Does that make sense? So what we need to do is go back to the original Greek and Hebrew. And the ESV and the NIV are direct translations from these languages. Uh, Those translations, ESV and NIV, don't rely on the King James and I provide a link here so that this grandmother can go read more on that. Now, my second response to her is the actual Greek word that Paul uses in his condemnation of homosexuality is a condemnation of homosexual sex. And it is a word that literally means men lying with men. That's what Paul is saying when he wrote this in his letter to the Roman church and to the Corinthian church. He Paul is being very clear here. Again, I'm not relying on the King James to say this. We're going back to the original Greek that Paul used. And here's a very, very important thing to remember. The word homosexual didn't exist in Paul's original writing. So if somebody wants to use that as a distraction, that's technically true. But why didn't the word homosexual exist in Paul's original writing? It's because the word didn't exist until the 1860s. I've covered that before on this show. 
It's a word that was coined in the 1860s. It was a modern word. Homosexual is a modern word invented by a pro-LGBTQ activist um, in the 1860s. And it was invented to move the target from sexual behavior to sexual identity. Paul literally said in the Greek that men lying with men was a sin. It was prohibited behavior within the church. He didn't say being a homosexual is a sin. He said, no, men lying with men is a sin. People committed to the church, Christians, should not engage in this like the rest of the culture does. That's what Paul said. Why didn't he say being a homosexual is a sin? Because the word homosexual didn't exist until 1860. It was a word coined and invented by an LGBTQ activist in the 1860s who was trying to move the target from the behavior to this new definition of what it means to be a human being. So uh, here's my point. If anyone is wrong in their translations, it's the folks like this granddaughter who have brought this lie of this modern word Uh, They brought it into the contemporary discussion and debate. They bought the lie. They drank the Kool-Aid. This modern word that was coined in the 1860s is what they're relying on. They're relying on it rather than accepting the straightforward meaning of the ancient language, the original language used by the actual authors like Paul. Okay, And it's not only Paul. I've talked to you before about this. Peter talks about it and condemns it. Jude talks about it and condemns it. And Jesus references it in the tail end of Revelation when he condemns various different things and says that if you're doing these things, enjoying these things, and celebrating these things, identifying with these things, then you will be outside of the kingdom at the end of days. He says outside are the dogs, those who practice homosexuality, sexual sin, and lying and deception and other things. Okay? Well, there's more. I gave her more to think about here. Uh, On this word, homosexual being a mistranslation, well, again, I already told you, it's not a mistranslation in the Bible. It's a word that we've been using in contemporary times because it was a word that was invented in contemporary times to describe the homosexual act. So I want to say it again. Understand me here. The word homosexual did not even exist until the 1860s. It was a combination before that. What Paul did is he coined a compound word. Uh, The two words that he used when he coined this word were arson coitus. Arson coitus. Now, I may be mispronouncing that to some degree. I'm I'm going back to the original Greek here, and I I don't have a degree in Greek, so I have to read up on this. Arson coitus. These two words meant male sex. Arson, male, coitus, sex. So Paul coined a new word when he wrote to the Romans, and he said arson coitus is wrong. And he referred to the same words that were used in Hebrew, male sex, and he translated those into Greek, arson coitus, and he said it's prohibited. So in the Hebrew language in Leviticus 18 and 20, male sex is prohibited. Okay? In the Greek language, arson coitus, when Paul's writing in Romans and Corinthians, he's saying the exact same thing. Make sense here? I hope it does. 
So the very word homosexual didn't exist till the 1860s. And yeah, I learned this from Rosaria Butterfield. Um, Excellent. If you want to read up on this, read Rosaria Butterfield. She says that the word homosexual and the very concept of homosexuality is a 19th century social construct. That's her language. And it was a construct created by an activist named Kurt Benny. Okay, that's the guy I was referring to earlier. He's the one that coined this word, homosexual. So it's that translation from this homosexual activist, this LGBTQ activist in the 1860s, that he wants to get away from talking about the act, arson coitus, and he wants to talk about homosexual and shift the target, move the narrative from behavior to identity. You get what's going on here? It's a 19th century ontological error, a social construct. That's what Rosaria Butterfield says. All right. So prior to that, prior to the 1860s, everyone rightly understood that the Bible is talking about behavioral choices. Not your inclinations, your appetites, your desires. No, that's not what the Bible was talking about. Paul was talking about arson coitus, male sexual behavior. Now, later on, he also talks about it in the female context. So don't tell me that he was only condemning uh, male-on-male sex. He wasn't speaking to female-on-female. No, he was talking about all of it. But in this particular case, we're talking about arson coitus. So behavioral choices, that's what Paul was talking about, not your inclinations, not your desires, not your feelings. He was talking about the facts of what these guys were doing, and you need to stop doing it. It's against the Bible. It's against God's ways. So no one assumed that Leviticus, Romans, Corinthians, Jude, or Revelation was referring to a class of people or a community, you know, the LGBTQ community. Nobody assumed that. That isn't what Paul was writing about. There was no such thing as that class of people or that community. Didn't exist. Didn't exist until the 1860s. Okay, Everyone understood the clear meaning of what Paul was saying. When he wrote it, and everybody understood it up until the 1860s, the same-sex behavior is behavior, pure and simple. It's not one's ontological identity. It's not the reality of who you are. Uh, What you want to do doesn't define you. Like I've said a thousand times on the show, there are lots of things that everybody listening to the show right now wants to do that they shouldn't do. You may want to cheat on a test. You shouldn't do it. That desire to cheat doesn't define you. You can choose not to do it. You may want to do a lot of things. Steal, lie, cheat. You may want to do things behaviorally that you can choose not to do in your actual being. Those desires don't define you. Okay, It's a huge distinction that we need to make clear. It's like Gore Vidal said, there is no such thing as a homosexual person or a heterosexual person. These are behavioral adjectives. The point is this, when we fall into this LGBTQIA community, nomenclature, uh, naming, labeling, when we fall into this label, this LGBTQ community, nomenclature, we've lost the war before we even fight the battle. You can't grant, this is what a key, key thing you need to hear me say right now, you can't grant a certain class of people official minority status and then turn around and deny them the moral right to act in a manner consistent with the moral status 
in the minority status you just granted them. It's very important to understand. If you're going to grant a certain group of people, uh, it, it call them a class of people, minority status, if you're going to say, we now recognize you as a minority group, you can't logically then turn around and deny them the moral right to act in a manner consistent with the moral and minority status you just granted them. That's the problem with the debate right now. If you turn around and grant all liars minority status for lying, wanting to lie, desiring to lie, and you say you're now a minority group because your inclinations, your desires define you, you are a minority group and we're going to call you liars. And you have minority rights because of your desire to lie. Does that make sense? Most of you, I hope all of you are laughing at that, but that's exactly what we've done with this LGBTQ community narrative. By labeling people minorities because of the things they want to do, you then have given them legal status whereby you have to grant them the right to act out on their minority identity in the public square. They can go about lying and stealing and cheating. They can go about doing all of these things that you've now said define them as a minority group. Smart Christians or smart people, whether you're a Christian or not, you know that you don't talk about the lying community or the greedy community or the vindictive community or the selfish community in the same way that you do about these sexual communities, the trans community or the... Uh, the bi community or the queer community or the homosexual community. We don't talk about the lying, greedy, vindictive, or self selfish communities in the same way. Why? Because we know it's stupid, it's foolish, and it's also unbiblical. So the question you should be asking yourself is, why do we do it with the LGBTQIA community? The, no logical reason to do this other than you've bought the lie that you were born that way. You were born to lie. You were born to be greedy. You were born to be vindictive. You were born to be selfish. You were born to be violent. You were born to kill and be a murderer. So you should have minority status because you were born that way? That's crazy talk. That's nonsense. It doesn't matter whether you were born that way. As I've said before on this show, the Bible makes it clear you can be born again. You can become a new creation. You can be transformed. You don't have to accept the fact that you were born with this inclination, this desire to do things that you shouldn't do. And I've got news for you. We were all born that way. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And the wages for all of this is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm quoting from the Apostle Paul again here. And yes, the translations that I have on what he said in those verses, uh, those uh, the translations we have are accurate. Okay? This claim that the Bible isn't accurate and you can't trust it is crazy talk because if we go back to the original languages, you can translate those languages, those words within those languages accurately. And that's what we have in our modern translations. Nowhere in Scripture are we told to define ourselves by our libido. Everywhere in Scripture, we're told to define ourselves by our Lord. Again, that's a, that's a phrase I've used repeatedly on this show. You're defined by your Lord, not your libido. 
You're defined by your Lord, not your desires. You're defined by the fact that you're told that you're made in the image of God, not the image of a dog. You're the Imago Dei. You're not the Imago Dog. You can be born again. You, you shouldn't be celebrating the fact that you were born that way and prancing and preening, strutting and cavorting in the streets because of your inclinations and desires and forcing everybody else to clap and celebrate along with you. As I've said a thousand times over on this show, if you want me to stay out of your bedroom, shut the door. And don't tell me I don't have the right to disagree with the moral choices you're making in your bedroom. And I don't want to make it illegal, but if you're going to make it public by telling everybody what you do, then I have just as much legal right to say I disagree with that as you have the legal right to engage in that. I don't know any conservatives, any Christians, who think that immoral sexual behavior should be illegal if it's consensual between consenting adults. Nobody's saying it should be illegal, but because we want to make it clear to our churches, to our children, that it's something we disagree with, that we think it's wrong. Why? Because we believe in Scripture. We believe what the Bible tells us. No, it's not a mistranslation. It's accurate. Paul coined a word, arsenkoitus. What did the word mean? Male sex, men lying with men. And he said, that's wrong. That's an accurate translation. Stop the stuff about the King James Version. doesn't matter. The ESV and the NIV and other translations don't rely on the King James. They go back to the original Greek language that Paul used. And Paul went back to the Hebrew language that was used in Leviticus. These things matter. The interpretations that we have today are accurate. And the bottom line is, the bottom line is this. I said this to my friend on Facebook. Our identity is in Jesus, not our sinful inclinations. I agree with Rosaria Butterfield. She understands this issue as well as anybody, as I've told you before. Rosaria was a lesbian. Uh, she wrote the LGBTQ policies for Syracuse University as an English professor there. But she was confronted by Scripture, and she took it seriously, and she became a new creation in Christ. She recognized that being born again was a higher calling than celebrating that she was born that way. And she has actually done the research she understands that hyphenating your Christianity with your sins is a joke. It's about one of the most unbiblical things you can do. Rosaria knows that she's a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So I hope this helps you understand what the Bible is really saying when it talks about homosexuality. And frankly, you can apply the same principles to any other dispute that's going on in our culture right now with regard to biblical accuracy. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.